As much as it's hard to contemplate, our nation is in the grips of a seemingly endless plague, and he won't leave the White House. <laughs> oh, yes, he will. He'll be leaving soon. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. Out in Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF, amongst other fine terrestrial affiliates. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. And as we head towards the Thanksgiving holiday, I want to send out my special thanks to all of our affiliates for carrying the broadcast. It is greatly appreciated and an honor to be on your uh, on your stations. I am your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow. Says me, named Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today as we go to air. There are just, just 57 days left until Inauguration Day. So close and yet so far. 42 days until Election Day in Georgia's two U.S. Senate runoffs to determine control of the U.S. Senate. That's January 5. Don't forget it over the holidays. 20 days until the Electoral College casts its votes to finalize once and for all the 2020 election. That's December 14. And now just 13 days until the statutory safe harbor deadline for resolving any election disputes imagined or other otherwise for the Electoral College on December 8. Welcome to the broadcast. Uh, despite Donald Trump's warnings that the stock market would crash if Joe Biden was elected. Remember that, Desi Doyle? You said that over and over and over again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Turns out the opposite was true. What? Who could have predicted it? Oh. The Dow rose above 30,000 points, actually closed above 30,000 on Tuesday for the first time in history, despite the fact that Joe Biden is getting closer and closer to the White House. Trump appeared for roughly one minute on Tuesday afternoon in a hastily arranged appearance in the White House briefing room to tout the market's gains, but he took no questions from reporters before he scurried back into his basement bunker 
following the rare public appearance after his humiliating loss to Joe Biden in the election three weeks ago, which has not crashed the market and, oddly enough, seems to have helped it to spike since that time. The president also appeared to uh, pardon two Thanksgiving turkeys, warming up his pardoning pen, I think, Des, Mm. remarking, and I quote, Thanksgiving is a special day for turkeys, I guess probably for the most part not a very good one when you think about it, he said. Deep thoughts. Also took no questions uh, from the media there as well. Uh, Meanwhile... I thought you meant the the, turkeys took uh, no questions. No, they they didn't either. (laughs) Actually, they had more to say, I think, than he did. Yeah, probably. Meanwhile, the Trump campaign's appeal of its devastating loss in federal court in uh, Pennsylvania over the weekend... Uh, They appealed and they misspelled the word president and they butchered grammar. And it was also delivered past the deadline that was set by the court in this filing, this emergency filing that was requested by the Trump campaign themselves. Legal experts expect it is uh, not really going to go anywhere, but we will see. A rejection by the appellate court leaves open a path to Trump's stolen U.S. Supreme Court where he thinks he can get a favorable verdict on a reading of the Constitution's election clause that says only state legislatures may set election laws. No one else, no governors, no boards of elections, no secretaries of state, no courts. I will be joined momentarily by constitutional attorney and election law expert John Bonifaz of Free Speech for People to discuss that very point and much more today. Also, it should be question whether it should be news at all when a U.S. senator admits the winner of a presidential election has won a presidential election. Nonetheless, that does seem to be news for now. First, it was Mitt Romney of Utah congratulating Joe Biden as uh, the next president of the United States. Then Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania after the devastating uh, uh, ruling by the uh, court in uh, federal court in Pennsylvania. And now Senator Bill Cassidy of Louisiana on Monday evening after Michigan certified uh, the uh, election for Joe Biden. Cassidy tweeted with Michigan certifying its results. Joe Biden has over 270 electoral college votes. President Trump's legal team has not presented evidence of the massive fraud which would have had to be present to overturn the election. I voted for President Trump, he said, but Joe Biden won. There's news. A U.S. senator saying the winner of a presidential election is the winner of the presidential election. Uh, Following Michigan's state certification of Biden's victory over Trump on Monday, Both Pennsylvania and Nevada certified Biden's victories over Trump as well on Tuesday, though, as in Pennsylvania, Donald Trump still has legal efforts underway in Nevada to try and reverse the state's results there, as overseen by their Republican secretary of state. Team Trump continues to allege a wide range of irregularities and voter fraud without evidence in their case, asking a Carson City judge to hand the state's six electoral college votes to Donald Trump or to just annul the election entirely, in which case neither candidate would receive those electoral votes. The case was filed under a state law that allows for a candidate to challenge the official results with an election contest. It is believed, however, as likely to fail 
as the more than 30 similar cases that Trump's uh, campaign has filed so far and lost since Election Day. To prevail, Trump's attorneys would have to show that there was enough fraud, uh, enough fraudulent votes that were cast to cast out on Biden's win in that state where its Supreme Court on Tuesday, the Nevada Supreme Court affirmed state certification of Biden's win by more than 33,000 votes out of 1.4 million cast. Also on Tuesday, Arizona's Republican governor, Doug Ducey, who had been reluctant to declare Biden the winner of the uh, of the state, According to Washington Post, uh, he acknowledged that the former vice president had, in fact, narrowly prevailed in his state. He told a Phoenix radio station, quote, I trust our election system. There's integrity in our election system. Joe Biden did win Arizona. He added that any legal challenges that are going to come. Those go through the courts, he said. The state, which flipped from Republican to Democratic for the first time in years by a very slim reported margin of just over 10,000 votes out of about 3.3 million cast, they have yet to officially certify their results. But Arizona is scheduled uh, to do that on Monday. And the very Trumpy governor, Doug Ducey, noted that that process is on track. The Trump campaign has said that they are confident that they have won the state, despite the reality of the actual reported numbers. And all of that played out as President-elect Joe Biden continues the business of his administration's transition to the White House, announcing a number of appointments to his foreign policy and national security team, including uh, former Senator and Secretary of State John Kerry as a special presidential envoy for climate and elevating that role to the National Security Council, where it belongs. More on that in a little bit in our latest Green News Report with Desi Doyen coming up later in this yep, hour. we got that. But uh, a slim 10,000-vote victory for Joe Biden in Arizona could be thanks in no small part to our friends at freespeechforpeople.org, which, along with winning some surprising court victories just before Election Day, for example, uh, we reported on this show to uh, prevent voter intimidation by Team Trump in Minnesota, which also went to Biden this year. Free Speech for People also fought to extend the voter registration deadline in Arizona by two weeks amid the worsening coronavirus pandemic. That resulted in some 35,000 new voters registered during that extended period in a state that Trump lost by just over 10,000 votes. We've been speaking to a number of the excellent attorneys and election integrity advocates from Free Speech for People all year long on this program, especially in the lead-up to Election Day. Joining us once again now today is the co-founder and president of the group, which is a national nonprofit, nonpartisan organization leading in the national fight to challenge big money in politics and corruption at the highest levels of government, along with the fight for free and fair elections. And as their website explains, advancing a new jurisprudence grounded in the promise of political equality and democratic self-government. 
Now there's an idea. John Boniface is a constitutional attorney who previously served as the executive director and then general counsel of the National Voting Rights Institute. He has written uh, several books on presidential impeachment in both 2004 and, for some reason, again in 2018. And since both elections and accountability are, for some reason, on my mind today, he seems the perfect person to talk to as we head into the Thanksgiving break. Oh, Mr. Bonifaz, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Thank you for having me back, Brad. Good to be with you. John, as noted, we have spoken on the show over the past year with a number of your great attorneys and experts, but we haven't spoken to you uh, personally, I think, since January uh, during the impeachment of Donald John Trump. How did that ever work out? Well, as we know, there was a sham trial in the U.S. Senate uh, where no witnesses were allowed to come forward, and the senators had their minds made up uh, before the trial even began, that they weren't going to allow uh, an actual trial to take place. Uh, and as a result, there was no conviction of this lawless president. We also know that the House passed narrow articles of impeachment focused only on the scandal in terms of the way mm-hmm. Trump tried to use uh, Ukraine and, and extort uh, evidence that a false, you know, uh, falsehoods out of Ukraine to try to influence the election. But the reality here, of course, is that there were many other impeachable offenses that this president has committed through the course of his administration mm-hmm. over four years, and he has yet to be held accountable for the vast majority of those impeachable offenses, starting with his decision to not divest from his business interests all over the world when he took the presidency and treat the Oval Office as a profit-making enterprise at the public expense. And moving on from that to obstruction of justice, racist abuse of power, uh, and and on. And, And the fact is what we have been left with now since the election is perhaps the worst abuse of power of them all, which is his effort to subvert the Constitution, to disenfranchise millions of voters based on this falsehood that mail-in voting has been fraudulent uh, and to effectively overturn the presidential election results uh, and engage in an attempted coup. All of that uh, is not only an abuse of power, but it's a broad criminal conspiracy for which this president should be held accountable uh, once he is out of office. And I want to talk to you about uh, some of that accountability uh, and some of those specifics in a bit, but as long as, uh, y- you know, you wrote two books on impeachment, as I mentioned, and, uh, you know, as you mentioned, where uh, the Senate was sort of able to hold this sham trial, is the idea that these guys have been able to do away with norms and traditions, you know, in in past uh, uh, impeachments, of course, there have been witnesses and so forth. It hasn't necessarily been a sham trial. Is that something that uh, either of your books actually foresaw that that something like that uh, could happen? Because we're seeing that, of course, all over the place. I want to talk about that as well in a bit. Uh, You know, the idea that if it's not written in stone somewhere, this guy, this president, and yes, his party are going to ignore it as if it is not the law because, hey, norms and traditions apparently were meant to be broken. Well, I should say with respect to the impeachment fight that we were very much engaged in helping the lead around 
this president, and, and the book you referenced, mm-hmm. The Constitution Demands It, is co-authored with my colleagues, Ron Fine and Ben Clements, at Free Speech for People. But we, we were well aware uh, that we were dealing with a U.S. Senate uh, that was very much unwilling to hold this president accountable. But we made clear in the book and, and in public statements throughout uh, the process that this president needed to be charged with impeachable offenses, and we laid out in detail Mm -hmm. all the impeachable offenses that he had already committed by the time of the publication of the book in 2018, uh, and and that the House had a duty to issue those charges regardless of whether the Senate would ultimately convict. So I don't think we were surprised by the way the Senate treated these serious charges, but it is also critical to remember that many believed somehow that we should simply invest in Robert Mueller and his investigation uh, to save the republic at that uh, moment, and, and that his investigation would, uh, would be the way that we would reach accountability. And we know what happened uh, with that investigation. We know now uh, that William Barr totally distorted what the Mueller report said, but we also know that the Mueller investigation did not reach a number of areas that needed to be uh, reached, and some of his former prosecutors have been vocal about what they missed. Uh, but one thing we, we, we do actually have clarity on is that Robert Mueller said in that report, along with his team, that they could not indict uh, the sitting president based on the policy of the Justice Department, in their view, uh, which prevented that. Now, that policy we regard as, as wrong and, in fact, uh, should not be a basis to allow a, a lawless president to keep violating the law. But he was clear in that report that the the fact that they couldn't indict him as a sitting president didn't mean he couldn't be indicted after he left office. Mm-hmm. And that's the prospect that we're now facing, is whether in the midst of all that's come forward, including the obstruction of justice evidence that the Mueller investigation did unearth, will this president be held accountable for the crimes that he and his associates have committed. See, we we continue to jump ahead, to lurch ahead to that, which I do want to talk to, but I feel like, you know, long uh, longtime Democratic strategist, I don't know if you saw this art- article by uh, Chris Marshall uh, at Salon a few days ago, he sort of cited, you know, horror slasher movies like Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street and how the monster is always killed in those movies, and then the heroes sort of walk away well, while there's still an axe laying next to the supposedly yeah. dead body, only to be surprised a few minutes later when he comes back to life. So let's just see if we can put this to bed yet. Swing states, as I mentioned, like Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Nevada, have now all certified their results uh, statewide results in the 2020 election. Are there any actual paths left, John Bonifaz, as you see it, no matter how slim or long shot or ridiculous they may be yeah. for the monster, in this case, Donald Trump, to actually come back to life and somehow find his way to four more years uh, of the presidency? Because he seems to think so. And so do his yeah. loony attorneys, Giuliani and Sidney Powell and Jenna Ellis and so forth. Well, he, he, he not only seems to think so, he's broadcast how he thinks it can be done, mm-hmm. uh, which is that state legislatures in some of these states should assign the electors to him, overthrowing the will of the people mm-hmm. and the results of those certified elections. And that's how I think he still envisions 
staying in power, that if those electors are then assigned to him, you have a constitutional crisis, you have different slates of electors heading to the Electoral College, it's potentially then thrown to the U.S. Congress, uh, and then you have the ability for uh, Congress to potentially Mm -hmm. decide the presidency. I, I don't think ultimately he has the ability to pull this off because so far none of these state legislatures have decided to go his way even with the whining and dining that that occurred with those michigan legislators uh, the other day but that's the remaining option that he already has publicly stated should be exercised so uh, you don't think it will work because you don't think enough state legislatures will go along with it but he's pushing a case now i think this pennsylvania case will probably get somewhere uh, up to the supreme court whether they decide to hear it or not is a is an unknown at this point i know it sounds nuts but this is a focus on the elections clause as i understand it the elections clause of the constitution which says that only state legislatures are mandated to set the manner of elections in each state. The argument being, as I understand it, that any election-related laws must be made by the legislature, so decisions made by the Secretary of State or governor or presumably even boards of elections and state judges, that those are unconstitutional. Yes, it sounds nuts, and no, it may not work in this instance to get Donald Trump in uh, you know, for another four years, but... Justice Kavanaugh, who I believe is nuts, he recently wrote a, a, an opinion arguing exactly that. So has Neil Gorsuch, and I believe Alito and Thomas are likely on board. So, you know, it, it could all come down to the latest stolen justice, Amy Coney Barrett. Even if we don't have anything to worry about in this election, should we be concerned that they are actually eyeing this uh, radical notion in the Constitution for the future, John? I definitely think we should be concerned about it for the future. It's a dangerous theory. It actually began with a Rehnquist concurrence in Bush v. Gore. Yeah. Uh, so he only had two other justices with him on this idea that state legislatures are the only uh, entities that can decide uh, any kind of election changes and that state courts have no role uh, whatsoever to interpret or determine whether those kinds of changes are constitutional under state constitutions, let alone having the federal courts involved. Mm-hmm. That, is, that is a theory that emanated from that concurrence in Rehnquist, mm-hmm. uh, you know, opinion in Bush v. Gore, and now Kavanaugh has resurfaced it uh, in, in his own uh, concurrence in, in a related voting rights case this season. Whether they take up the Pennsylvania case, which, to be clear, the one that they are still sitting on is the case dealing with the decision to allow for ballots to come in once postmarked by Election Day in Pennsylvania to arrive by that Friday after Election Day and still be counted. That case uh, is what remains still potentially before them. They've not taken any action on it. But the reality here, of course, is that even if they were to rule that those ballots should not be counted, it will not change the outcome in Pennsylvania, so it won't change mm-hmm. this presidential outcome. But you're absolutely right that we need to be concerned about this radical, dangerous theory that is essentially uh, going to undermine the ability for state courts, state supreme courts, and federal courts to determine whether a, a change in the way an election is run in a particular state undermines 
the fundamental right to vote under mm-hmm. a state constitutional guarantee or federal constitutional guarantee. Yeah, your victory in, for example, in Arizona this year, ex- helping to extend the deadline for registration, that would Correct. would have been unconstitutional under this uh, this notion, right? I think I think it would probably be unconstitutional under this notion, but you're right. The, the argument here would be sweeping in the way it would impact the ability for courts to intervene to protect the fundamental right to vote when that's at stake. And this is the sort of thing I'm worried about from this court, because it seems like it's nuts, but I... I could I could see them going for this, even though, you know, it opens up other questions like, uh, well, in the Constitution, it says Congress shall have the right to taxation. Well, does that mean that Congress gets to increase or decrease taxes without getting an approval from the president? I mean, that's essentially what they're arguing at the state level. The legislature can do whatever they want. It you know doesn't matter if the governor vetoes it. It's nuts. But that's. In the future, I guess uh, we talked a little bit a, a little earlier about uh, accountability for what you described as an attempted coup. But isn't what uh, Trump is trying to do here, as nuts as it may seem, you know, challenge results, get hand counts? Uh, aren't these all the things that I suspect you or I would be in support of in almost any election? Is that how is that actually a coup as you see it, John? Well, we have to separate out actions that involve going into court and filing cases to actions in which election officials mm-hmm. in charge with counting ballots are being pressured by the President of the United States to throw out ballots, to disenfranchise millions of people, or agents of the President, such as Senator Lindsey Graham, engaging in those kinds of actions. And the spreading of falsehoods that mail-in voting is fraudulent, that there's been illegal voting that's rampant all across the country with no evidence whatsoever. Now, there is a, a way in which if you file a lawsuit that has no basis uh, with evidence, no, no, it's completely frivolous, mm-hmm. that the lawyers filing that lawsuit and, frankly, the parties filing that lawsuit can be sanctioned by a court under mm-hmm. what's known as Rule 11 in the federal court uh, rule of civil procedure. And, and that, that essentially places in check the... The, the ability for lawyers to file frivolous actions. I would argue that some, if not many, of the cases that have been filed alleging widespread voter fraud have no basis in fact and should be sanctioned under Rule 11. But that's separate and apart from the question of whether the president and his agents are engaged in a broad criminal conspiracy to disenfranchise millions of voters, to target, in particular, people of color, African-American voters, uh, in particular, in in urban Mm -hmm. settings across the country, uh, from Atlanta to Milwaukee to Detroit. I mean, this is where uh, the focus has been. And, in fact, the NAACP Legal Defense Fund just recently filed on behalf of individual voters in Michigan and a Michigan uh, public interest organization a lawsuit against the president in federal court in Washington, D.C., alleging that he was engaged in just this very conduct in violation of the Voting Rights Act of 1965, Mm -hmm. which makes clear that there shall not be any voter intimidation or coercion with respect uh, to the voting process. And, And that's what's happening here. This president is calling up election officials. He's lobbying. Beyond lobbying, he's pressuring members of a canvassing board 
in Wayne County, Michigan, mm-hmm. not to certify, uh, to throw out ballots. He has his ally sidekick, Senator Lindsey Graham, doing the same with the Secretary of State of Georgia to disenfranchise millions of people. That's the attempted coup. I mean, we do not engage in this country in disposing of and throwing out millions of people's ballots. We don't engage in subverting the Constitution, and we certainly don't allow a president with the power of the presidency to do that, and that's why he needs to be held accountable for this lawless behavior. Is a violation, uh, as you describe, for example, of the Voting Rights Act, is that something that he would not be held accountable for if he is uh, constitutionally allowed to pardon himself? Well, we, we actually have to ask the question whether he's ever allowed to pardon himself. Okay, I'm asking. Uh, is that, he? <laughs> well, I, I, don't, I don't think there's any basis whatsoever with the pardon power in the Constitution for a president to pardon himself. And I think that would be challenged in court. Uh, you know, the fact is, is that there are limits to the pardon power. We challenged the pardon of former Sheriff Joe Arpaio mm-hmm. when Trump issued that pardon because it essentially was a signal to every other law enforcement officer in the country that if you engage in that kind of rampant civil rights uh, set of violations, locking people up based on the color of their skin, you too could get pardoned and, and, not, and get off scot-free. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that signal, that, that kind of abuse of power that undermines the basic due process and equal protection rights of people, in that case in, in Arizona, uh, is not allowed under the pardon power, but nor are self-dealing pardons, in particular a self-dealing pardon for the president himself. So I think it would get challenged, and I think we have to be vigilant in ensuring that this president not get off scot-free. But beyond the federal crimes that this president uh, has, has likely committed, there are state crimes, as we know, mm-hmm. and any pardon that the president may try to issue for himself would only apply to the federal uh, crimes. They could not apply to the state crimes. He has zero ability to pardon himself for state crimes. And we know that there's an ongoing criminal investigation by the Manhattan District Attorney, Cy Vance, Mm -hmm. into potential tax fraud that the president has committed and potentially other state crimes. And he, I think, is likely worried about that because he knows the pardon power will not extend there. And I guess the question will remain, we'll get to it in a moment, as to whether uh, he, whether Donald Trump should worry about accountability from an incoming uh, Joe Biden administration. But, John, as you have been certainly on the election integrity beat as long and probably longer than me even, and I've been on it pushing 20 years at this point, you know, after there were so many, I think you and I got to know each other back around 2004. There were many questions surrounding the presidential election in Ohio in 2004 and, of course, the Florida 2000 race when many Democrats at the time felt that their candidate actually won, certainly in in well, in both of them. But in 2004, due to cheating by election officials, questions about the voting systems, there were a lot of unhappy Democrats who Uh, fancied themselves as election integrity folks at the time. Many then sort of faded away once Barack Obama got elected. Uh, And of course, we are seeing something similar right now on the Republican side these days with the Dominion Voting Systems Company sort of uh, becoming the new Diebold. And they're 
actually, the Republicans are pulling a whole lot of my old investigative reports on all of this. I'm seeing myself cited everywhere. Of course, they're getting a lot of it entirely wrong. But I've always said that nothing would really happen regarding election integrity, concerns about these voting systems until a Republican was really screwed by the system. Is it possible, John, that some legitimate Republicans, after the other ones, you know, the loons sort of peel away, that some legitimate Republicans may come on board to this election integrity fight that you have been involved in so long, as have I, and that we something good might actually come of this at this point? I think it is possible, and I think we obviously have to reach for the gold standard for election integrity, which are hand-marked paper ballots for all our jurisdictions all over the country with assistive devices for those who need it. But we cannot have the private voting systems industry mm-hmm. be in charge of counting our votes because it leads to this distrust and it leads to the lack of verifiability. Mm-hmm. The reality here is that because so many people voted by mail, this year, we actually had an ability to verify the election even more so than prior cycles because, of course, we vote with hand-marked paper ballots when we vote absentee. Uh, and that changed the, the, the type of ballots that were getting submitted, even in jurisdictions that have machines for in-person mm-hmm. voting. Many people were using the absentee ballots. So hand-marked paper ballots are the gold standard, and and, and we have an ability to verify when we can look at paper ballots. We know the famous Senate race between Al Franken and Norm Coleman. Mm-hmm. Senator Norm Coleman of Minnesota had been declared the winner. 2008, Al Franken, yeah. uh, you know, there was a recount automatically triggered because it was such a close race. And after that recount, it was determined that Al Franken had won the race. And, and Norm Coleman, you know, didn't, to at least his credit there, claim there was fraud or claim that the recount was wrong. It was understood that every ballot had been recounted, mm-hmm. and in the process, uh, you know, certain ballots but through the optical scan machines that don't properly get counted were determined to be legitimate votes, and, and, and Franken was awarded uh, to be the winner. Here, what we've had is first an attack on the mail-in voting process and on all those hand-marked paper ballots, and, was, and that was not working then there became an attack on Dominion. But the very fact that there's an ability to attack Dominion is the problem because we shouldn't have private voting systems companies right. in charge of uh, you know, our election systems. Mm-hmm. We, we should actually have the ability to verify our elections through hand-marked paper ballot-based systems. And and in that uh, Coleman-Franken uh, hand count, statewide a recount you talk about in 2008, they counted every single ballot by hand, and that gave both the winner and the loser confidence that the result was accurately counted, something that is harder and harder the more we use computers in our voting systems. Even when the election is secure, it does open the door for what we're seeing from Donald Trump and the rest to claim that there was uh, chicanery, even if there was not. And that's the great threat. And that's why I've said, hey, Republicans, if you are really worried about Dominion, you got a really important uh, couple of runoffs coming up in Georgia in January. Hey, let's have all hand-marked paper ballots. And you know what? Let's hand-count them all on election right. night so everyone can see it. Right. 
Absolutely right. That is the way to go, and that's how we're going to restore confidence all across the spectrum in the electoral process. Looking forward, John Boniface, uh, the big, the biggest question I know that uh, you guys at Free Speech for People are now looking at is how to ensure that a Joe Biden administration actually looks forward and back to bring accountability to the criminals who have been been inhabiting this White House now for four years. There was some reporting recently uh, from NBC News suggesting that Biden is, you know, like Obama after George W. Bush, interested in not looking back because he doesn't want Trump to dominate his administration. I think we need to look both forward and back. Your thoughts on that? We absolutely have to look forward and back, and it would be a disaster for the rule of law if we simply decide we're going to ignore what happened the past four years, that the rule of law was suspended for four years, and now we're somehow going to move forward without any accountability for the crimes that have occurred. Senator Warren, during her campaign, had a very important proposal, which uh, we support at Free Future People, which is that the attorney general of this new administration should set up a special task force to investigate all potential criminal wrongdoing of Trump and his associates both inside uh, the government and outside uh, for this very reason, to ensure that we restore uh, the rule of law. The message cannot be uh, that we simply will move on without having any accountability because the reality will be it will only embolden those Mm -hmm. like Donald Trump and others who, if they ever were to attain power again, will think they can get away with it. There's another level of accountability, Brad, that people haven't been talking about as much, but Michael Cohen, a columnist, not the Michael Cohen, former attorney to Mm -hmm. Donald Trump, but Michael Cohen, the columnist for the Boston Globe, has recently written about, which which we also agree with, uh, which is the fact that the impeachment power can be used again and and mm. is not only necessary for removing someone from office who's abusing his or her power, but can also be used to disqualify somebody mm. from ever running for federal office again. Mm. And, and that's been used against judges who've been impeached. They've been disqualified from ever serving in any federal office again. And, and were this president to be impeached uh, you know, after he leaves office, or even now, and the Senate convicts after he leaves office, one of the penalties that could be applied uh, would be disqualifying him hmm. from ever running again. Why does that matter? It matters because he's already saying that he may run again in 2024, and we know uh, if he's going to do that, that he will engage in likely the same kind of misconduct uh, he's engaged during the election cycle, and then if he were to prevail after the election cycle. And this threat to our republic, this threat to the rule of law, must be directly confronted, and that includes the use of the impeachment power again. But you would still need two-thirds of the U.S. Senate to convict, would you not? You would, but there's a lot of Republican senators who might like to run in 2024, and they might (laughs) find it useful to disqualify him from ever being uh, on the ballot. Good point. And yeah, also a uh, good point, uh, you know, about uh, accountability now to avoid something like this again. I've long argued that had accountability been brought against George W. Bush and those criminals, we might not have ever had a Donald Trump. Um, I, I completely agree. You yeah. can draw a straight line yep. from the decision 
that President Obama made to only look forward, not to look back at the war crimes, the torture that had taken place during uh, the Bush administration. You can draw a straight line from that decision, yep. and that, that, that strategic error, to the rise of Donald Trump. And I do think uh, that we cannot remake that mistake again. Let me push it just one farther here, John. Uh, how hard is it to bring actual crimes against humanity charges? I mean, is that something for the world court? Because I will be damned if lying to the American people about a virus that to date has killed at least a quarter of a million of us, if that is not an actual crime against humanity worthy of trial at The Hague or wherever we hold them these days. I mean, if that isn't, what is uh, a crime against humanity at this point? Well, I, I do. I do think that international human rights law needs to be applied here as well, and that international tribunals should look at these questions, and they and they shouldn't only focus as as important as that point is on the way in which uh, the president has addressed or misaddressed uh, this pandemic, but also the crimes against humanity that have occurred at the border between Mexico and the United States, mm-hmm. and the uh, state-sponsored kidnapping that mm-hmm. occurred. Uh, with children being ripped from their families, 500-plus children still having not been reunited with their families. Uh, there are certainly crimes under U.S. law that uh, that ought to be investigated here, but there is also an international human rights uh, violation here uh, with, with that tragedy that has occurred for so many families. And you know, uh, there, the list, unfortunately, is very long yeah. with respect <laughs> to the is. kinds of investigations that need to take place. Uh, but if, if the answer is simply going to be, well, this attempted coup didn't work, we're moving on, all these other violations of the law, we're moving on, uh, then, then we are going, on, I, I fear, to face uh, an even more emboldened set of actors going forward who will think they, too, can get away with this and even more. That's what I'm worried about, and uh, I don't think we have time here, but uh, if this comes to pass, if Biden's DOJ does not seek actual accountability, uh, well, we'll have to talk about if there are other ways that groups like, uh, you know, NGO, non-government organizations like Free Speech for People actually can bring some accountability outside of the justice system. But that'll have to wait for another day, John, because as we head into the Thanksgiving holiday, I just want to offer my thanks to you and your superb crew at FSFP, many of whom have kept our listeners up to date and informed over the past year, including attorneys Ben Clements, Ron Fine. You mentioned uh, Courtney Hostetler, uh, not to mention your great election integrity expert, Susan Greenhall. I just wanted to uh, send my uh, extend my thanks on behalf of this show and our listeners for the work that you have done, as well as uh, a grateful nation for your willingness to take on fights that uh, too often nobody else wants to over at Free Speech for People, John. So thank you, sir, for that. Brad, you're very kind. Thank you. We've been honored to be on your show repeatedly this year to talk about this work. We appreciate your coverage of all these critical democracy issues and, and all that you do to help educate the public at this moment in history and and we'll continue to stay in touch and and, and update you on on our work. Thank you, sir. Greatly appreciate it. You'll be sorry you said it because I will be bringing you and the rest of the crew back. John Boniface can be found at freespeechforpeople.org. You can also follow him on the Twitters at John Boniface. 
And, of course, you can follow Free Speech for People on the Twitters as well. They are FSFP on Twitter. John, have a happy uh, and safe and healthy Thanksgiving, my friend. I look forward to talking to you in the new year. Thank you, Brad. You too. Thank you. Okay, we're running late, so a quick <laughs> yes. break. We'll come back with some long overdue business before uh, the Thanksgiving holiday. And, of course, Desi Doyen and the Green News Report. That is all ahead on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Get it right the first time, that's the main thing. Oh, yeah, I know. I uh, try to get it right the first time, but sometimes <laughs> I screw it up. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. This has been driving me crazy now for the past week, Des. I know. Uh, <laughs> since we uh, were going to uh, be taking a break for the holiday, Nicole Sandler will be in for us on tomorrow's thrilling Bradcast, and then we'll see you uh, after the holiday. And I, I can't leave unless I make this correction. Brad Blog commenter Jay Miller writes in with the correction a few days ago, well now a week or so ago, I've been trying to get to this, when it was announced that Iowa's Republican Senator Chuck Grassley tested positive for COVID, apparently I referred to him as the longest serving senator in the upper chamber. Jay writes in to say Vermont Senator Pat Leahy is actually the longest serving U.S. senator. He's been there since 1975. Senator Grassley is second. He's only been there since 1981. Jay only. is correct. <laughs> only, I know. But my apologies for the error because it drives me crazy. We try to put him at the top of the show and I had planned to do so for like the last three or four shows and something else breaks and I can't. Anyway, I, you know, apparently I got to hire some new researchers. <laughs> Come to think of it, I got to hire some researchers. For the record, while Grassley is the president pro tempore of the U.S. Senate, which I, I had thought made him the longest serving senator, apparently the president pro tempore, that's a constitutionally recognized officer of the Senate who presides over the chamber in the absence of the vice president, who is constitutionally also, the uh, the vice president is also the president of the Senate, but the president pro tem or president for a time is elected by the Senate and is by custom the senator of the majority party with the longest record of continuous service, not just of any party. Mm. So Grassley is the longest serving Republican. He's also the oldest Republican in the Senate at 87. But while Democrat Patrick Leahy may be the longest serving senator, he's a baby at 80 years old. Grassley, however, is not even the oldest currently serving senator. Do you know who that is? Desi I would Dorn? say probably Feinstein. Nailed it. Ah. Well done. Uh, California Democrat Dianne Feinstein. She was born June of 1933, beating out Grassley by about three months. His birthday is September of 1933. One more correction I need to make. G.S. in Massachusetts writes into bradcast at bradblog.com to say to me, hello, Brad and Desi. Your plea to end this red-blue divide con contrasts with your rant during the first part of your show today. This was November 19. 
Uh, in that outpouring of emotion, your frustration turned outrage seemed to have gotten the better of you. Even <laughs> if, yeah, usually does. She says, even if justified, I just wanted to remind you that despite it being a blue state with relatively lower COVID rates than the Dakotas, etc., Massachusetts has a Republican governor, mm, good point. not a Democratic governor, as I uh, must have said when I lumped it in with a whole bunch of blue states who are not being hit as hard as those states, uh, mo by and large, run by Republican governors that are just getting socked right now with the COVID crisis. Okay? Corrections done. We can take a break, come back with Green News Report. Hopefully Desi Doyne didn't screw anything up. <laughs> and then we can get on with the holiday somehow. I'm Brad Friedman. You are listening to the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Yes, I know. Again, late, Running late, late, yes. late. So it's our latest Green News report. I'm returning to government to help solve the climate crisis. President-elect Joe Biden selects John Kerry as special climate envoy. We are pivoting to a growth strategy and a zero emissions future. We're all in on investing to establish leadership in EVs. General Motors ditches Trump, goes big on electric vehicles. Trump rolls back Arctic drilling safety rules. Plus, we're doomed. 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 No, we are not. We have not reached a point of no return on climate. Says you. All of those stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. With his days numbered in the White House, President Trump is rushing to auction off oil and gas drilling rights to the Arctic National Refuge in Alaska. Hell yeah, baby! The climate thought it could breathe easy because Donald Trump lost the election? Oh, hell no! Guess what? None of us are going to be breathing easy. Ha <laughs> ha! Wait, this is a bad thing, right? Right. This is your Green News Report. At this point, Trump is just stripping America for parts. Okay, Desi Doyen, there's only one person who's more difficult to quote on the radio in a short amount of time than Barack Obama. You know who that is? Who? Our new climate envoy, John Kerry. Wish me luck for the next four years. <laughs> Good luck. Thanks. President-elect Joe Biden on Monday announced that he is appointing famous slow talker and former Secretary of State John Kerry to the position of special envoy on the climate crisis, which for the first time will include a seat on the National Security Council because of the broad threats that man-made global warming imposes on national and international security. So I hope they give him a really long time to make his point. <laughs> the Biden transition team said in a statement that Kerry would focus on climate full time and that the position, quote, reflects the president-elect's commitment to addressing climate change as an urgent national security issue. Actually, I think that's very cool. Yes. For the first time, it's elevated to the National Security Council. And there's actually someone who knows a thing or two 
about the job he's undertaking. Yes, as Secretary of State, Kerry played a prominent role in crafting the Paris Climate Accord. But the outgoing Trump administration is racing to do more damage on their way out the door. Of course. In a bid to gut environmental safeguards before Biden takes office, the Trump Interior Department late last week proposed weakening Obama-era offshore drilling safety rules in the fragile Arctic. The Trump EPA also finalized a rollback that lets industries release more toxic air pollution. The Trump EPA in a new filing said only 69 facilities had adopted those weaker pollution rules, but that's cold comfort to the families who live near them. Mm. President-elect Biden will likely be able to throw out many of these rollbacks once in office, but finalized rules are much more difficult and time-consuming to overturn. But never fear, Trump's EPA administrator Andrew Wheeler will get to squeeze in a couple of taxpayer-funded trips abroad before getting kicked out of office. And going back to the coal and oil industry where he was a lobbyist for years. Yep. I'm going to remember it, Tom. Hello, Mr. President. This is Governor Wolf. I need help. President Trump also has denied federal disaster aid to Pennsylvania for Tropical Storm Isaias. The denial of aid came just a few weeks after Trump vowed at that rally to retaliate against the state's Democratic Governor Tom Wolf for imposing pandemic restrictions that limited Trump's rally. So promises kept. But some good news. We're doomed. Doomed. <laughs> no, no, we have not yet reached a climate point of no return. That's the overwhelming message from climate scientists who debunked an alarming and deeply flawed climate study that spread like wildfire across social media. Written by business school professors, not scientists, the paper made major errors regarding thawing permafrost. Climate scientists warn that false narratives proclaiming that it's somehow too late to solve global warming, or what they call doomism is an insidious form of denial that undermines action. More good news. In an abrupt reversal, U.S. auto giant General Motors on Monday announced it is withdrawing its support for the Trump administration's lawsuit to strip California of its authority to set its own fuel economy rules and emission standards for cars and trucks. The move signals that GM plans to work with the incoming Biden administration on cleaning up the auto industry's pollution, which makes sense because GM, just a few days earlier, announced it will double down on expanding its electric vehicle lineup, investing more in all electric models than in its conventional gas vehicles. Late last week, GM chair and CEO Mary Barra said that the automaker is investing in a pending breakthrough in battery chemistry that will increase battery range to as much as 450 miles per charge and cut the price of its electric vehicles to equal its conventional gas cars. We will spend more on EVs and AVs than on gasoline and diesel powered development. In all, 60% of our product development team resources will be dedicated to EVs and AVs. The announcement shows how quickly electric vehicles could take over. And then Mary Barra gave the finger to Donald Trump on his way out. Of course they're investing in EVs. They're going to make a ton of money. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your... Green News Report. Well done, Desi Doyen. Thank you very much. As noted, we are uh, Nicole Sandler will be in for us on our next thrilling broadcast, and then we will see you after the holidays. Uh, Just very quickly, I want to. I'm thankful for a few things before we go. Of course, I'm thankful for Joe Biden winning the presidential (laughs) election. 
He is imperfect, but better than our four-year descent into hell uh, over the past four years for certain, and we will look forward to holding him accountable. Uh, after Trump won, I remember explaining that I had no idea how to cover him and what was going on. I still don't. Now I feel like I have no idea how to cover Joe Biden either. <laughs> so we'll figure it out. I yes. beg your indulgence until we do. I'm also thankful to our regular guest host, Nicole Sandler, particularly over this past year when I lost my father suddenly and she was kind and generous enough to step in for like a full month, maybe more. No clue how we would have survived that without her. So thank you, Nikki. I'm also thankful to my mother, who still religiously listens to this show every day for some reason and finds nice things to say about it anyway. <laughs> uh, but I am uh, both thankful and incredibly proud of how well she has done after losing my dad, uh, who she had been with since she was a teenager. She's doing incredibly well with that and the nightmares that COVID has brought to all of us. I couldn't be prouder and more thankful. I'm also, of course, wildly thankful to Desi Doyen, our producer, without whose tireless work this show would simply not happen each day <laughs> or be anywhere close to presentable. Uh, she does more than uh, you and more than she knows to keep us going each day throughout all of this impossible-to-cover nightmare uh, over these last four years, and mostly to all of our listeners and sharers, but especially to those who have kept us going with your generous donations to bradblog.com slash donate. As I've noted before, we moved from a weekly show to a daily program in the spring of uh, 2015 with the goal of staying on air as a daily show through the end of the 2016 election. But then with its surprise ending, which, yes, we were fairly alone in warning could happen over the, these public airwaves. We thought it was important to stay on the air and continue covering what we described as a national emergency over these past four years. Our new goal then was to stay on air through the 2020 election, which we were able to do thanks to those of you who supported our efforts. Where we go from here remains to be seen, and uh, maybe to how many of you continue to visit bradblog.com donate. But we're still here for now, and we simply would not be without you. So thank you. Yes, thank you. Uh, I hope you all have a quiet and safe and healthy Thanksgiving. We'll see you on the other side, perhaps a touch more rested or less punchy, but that remains to be seen. <laughs> Until then, thanks again to Desi Doyen, our producer, to my guest today, John Bonifaz of freespeechforpeople.org, and to all of you. I can be reached on email via bradcast at bradblog.com if I decide to check it for the next few days, and of course on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the TheBradBlog. All right, that's it. We'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Thank you, and good luck, world.